first reading tonight is taken from Psalm 126, <coughs> verses 1 to 6. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. <coughs> then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. <coughs> Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. <coughs> he who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Amen. Tonight's reading comes from God's Word in King, 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. <clears throat> when Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time, as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne forever over Israel. As I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshipping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. At the end of 20 years, during which Solomon built these two buildings, the Temple of the Lord and the Royal Palace, King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre, because Hiram had supplied him with all the cedar and pine and gold he wanted. But when Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. What kind of towns are these you have given me, my brother? he asked. And he called them the land of Kabul, a name they have to this day. Now Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. Here is the account of the forced labour king Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, his own palace, the supporting terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, Megiddo, and Giza. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Giza. He had set it on fire. 
He killed its Canaanite inhabitants and then gave it as a wedding gift to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon rebuilt Giza. He built up Lower Beth Horon, Baalith and Tadmor in the desert within his land, as well as all his store cities and the towns for his chariots and for his horses. Wherever he desired to build, in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and throughout all the country he ruled. So ends tonight's reading from God's Word. It might have much to say to us regarding the new building we find ourselves. Two women came before wise King Solomon, dragging between them a young man in a three-piece suit. This young accountant agreed to marry my daughter, said one. No, he agreed to marry my daughter, said the other. And so they haggled before the king until he demanded silence. My sword, bring me the biggest sword, said Solomon, and we shall uh, cut the young man in half and each of you shall receive a half. Fine, sounds good to me, says the first lady. But the other woman said, O sire, do not spill innocent blood. Let this other woman's daughter marry him. The wise king did not hesitate a moment. Indeed, the accountant must marry the first lady's daughter, he proclaimed. But she was willing to hack him in two, exclaimed the king's court. Precisely, said wise King Solomon, that sure she is the true mother-in-law. <laughs> Solomon, as we know, was a wise man. God had given Solomon wisdom. God had given Solomon riches and honour. He built lots of things, including the temple and the palace. And he'd been king for 24 years at this point, where we are in tonight's reading. And right at the very start of his reign, God had called him to faithfulness. And here, God appeared to Solomon again and reminds him not to let his heart grow cold and not to move away from being faithful. This is only the second time that God has appeared to Solomon. And so this is an extremely important event. So often when you read these passages about the characters of years ago, you just assume that they had conversations with God every other week kind of thing. But this is just the second time. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, had been committed to God and working for his purposes. Yet as we know, it wasn't too long after this before he'd gone away from God and gone away from how he knew God wanted him to live his life. But the thing I want us to think about is how Solomon didn't make a radical change with his faithfulness. He made just a gradual change. He drifted. And here in chapter 9, we have God reminding him to remain faithful. In verse 4, God says, If you walk before me faithfully, with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, And do all I command and observe all my decrees and laws, I will establish your throne over Israel forever. Here is a gracious God reminding Solomon to remain faithful. He must live in obedience, but he needs God's grace to do that. He can't presume that God is with him and then live however he wants. He has to walk before God faithfully and with integrity. Now, Integrity isn't the same as perfection. And interestingly, God uses David as an example of integrity. He said, as your father David walked, and we know what David was like. 
We know his sins, we know his weakness. But we know he maintained a devotion to God. He lived his life conscious of God's hand upon him, and he continued to serve him consistently. Not perfectly, but the best he could. And when David messed up, and when he lost sight of this, he then was called to account by God, and he repented. He turned back to God. He humbled himself, and that is integrity. And if Solomon was going to continue to rule, then he too must live with integrity. His heart must belong to God. For us to walk before God with integrity of heart and wholeness of devotion, we must truly live for God. We must know him daily and live in a relationship with him. Solomon's relationship with God had an effect on the whole nation. He says, if you turn away from God and the people do too, then I will cut Israel off from the temple I've given them. This will be the breaking of covenant relationships. He will cast offenders out of his sight. God's agreement with his people is that if they are unfaithful, he will cast them away. God makes the cost of unfaithfulness known to them. However bright the gold is, however much the bronze shimmers, it won't matter if they forsake God. They will perish. Even if they have the, set, the temple, which is an outward sign of obedience, it won't matter because it's about their relationship. You see, God is warning them so that they won't fall. He doesn't want them to mess up. He wants to stay in with relationship with them. He longs to be gracious. But this warning is serious because Solomon drifted from God. He warns us of the real dangers because he doesn't want us to make the same mistakes. But you see, it's in the normal everyday things that Solomon has to do that get in the way of his relationship with God. There's nothing wrong with what Solomon has built. In fact, God asked him to do it. But if the work he was doing came between him and God, well, then that is a problem. So can you do in your daily calling, do your daily calling, whatever that is, be that a shopkeeper, a teacher, a lawyer, whatever? Can you do those things and remember first, the thing you must do is walk with God. Remember to keep him with you at all times. Walk with him everywhere. To not allow those things, those other good things, get in the way. You see, throughout chapter 9, there's a bit of a theme about building. Solomon is engaged in the day-to-day work of his kingdom, in the day-to-day work of being a king. He pursued trade with other nations. He was responsible for building the structure of Israel. He brought a good few projects to completion. And the list of projects he achieved is quite impressive and Ray read them all out earlier. The wall around Jerusalem, the temple, the palace, the city of Giza, and all of the others. And in the midst of all this building, this activity, the stuff that kings do, it's that something else then takes place in Solomon's life. Noticed it was in the midst of the activity that God appeared to him the second time. In the midst of all this activity, as he interacts with other kings, does his thing, God appeared to Solomon. And he does that to remind him that 
in everything that he's doing, in all of his relationships, there's one that is the most important, and that's the relationship with God. Solomon has many relationships. He has a wife, he has other wives. He's got a relationship, a business relationship with Hiram of Tyre, a fellow king. He's in charge of all his subordinates, his workers. He has to work with Pharaoh. All of the people that in his role as king, Solomon has to deal with, there was loads of them. But God was saying to them that he was most important. He was saying that in the midst of everything, remember that your primary relationship is with me, master in heaven. Even though Solomon was king, which is a high position, it's like he's being reminded that actually there's someone who's even higher, who is even more important, and that's God. And we need to remember the same thing. A couple of weeks ago, we started a course with the young people called The Art of Connecting. And this week's theme was connecting with God. And we did a little exercise with one person telling the other um, everything about their day without them being having time to even, you know, stop for breath. And at the end of the 30 seconds we'd given them, we asked them how they felt, not being able to get a word in, and whether they thought they'd had a meaning, meaningful conversation or not. I'm pretty sure it's obvious that the answers were not. And the point was that sometimes that's what our relationships end up like. We neglect our relationship with God. And like we spoke about with Solomon, we drift. It might not be intentional, but if we're not careful, our prayer lives become a bit like that exercise, not meaningful at all. It's a lot easier than we think to forget that there's one overarching relationship, and that's with God who we can't hide anything from. Solomon seemingly forgot that he had a God who he would one day have to account to. But God came and interrupted him in the middle of his work and told him to remember that his relationship was the primary one to consider. In the midst of everything that we do, we need to remember that our primary relationship is with God. God reminds Solomon as well that You know, we're not left to make things up and figure things out on our own. We're not meant to figure it out by ourselves. We've got the word of God to guide us. And because of that, there is a standard that we need to live to. He he told him he needs to walk with integrity. He reminded him that there's a master in heaven. And there is a standard, which is the written word of God. Obedience to God is not how we measure up in opinion polls. It's not about how we compare to others. God has a standard, and it's by that standard that we should live our lives. But let's look at what God said would happen again if Solomon didn't do that. In verses sort of 6 to 9, it roughly says, If you turn away from following God and serve other gods, then I will cut off Israel. Israel will become a proverb. Everyone will be astonished. But it will be because they forsook God. Essentially, God is saying, I am the sovereign God. If you obey me, it will result in blessing. If not, you'll lose the land, you'll lose the temple and the kingdom. And Israel will lose its right to the land. And you know, within a few hundred years of this point, um, it was destroyed and all that was left was the Wailing Wall. Because 
Israel had forsaken God. There was no Davidic king on the throne. God is just reminding them. He was warning them of what was going to happen, and they could have changed. But right at the start, Solomon pursued the things of his calling. He did what God asked him to do, but then he drifted. And you know, we all have a calling. We're called to a relationship with Jesus, but we're called to do different things in life too. And we're meant to pursue those things of our calling. And we need to make sure that we don't minimise our callings because God has placed us exactly where he wants us. But as we pursue the things that we're called to do, let's make sure that we don't drift away from our relationship with God. Solomon built, rebuilt, and was busy doing so much, just as we are all busy doing the things we do day in, day out. When we're busy pursuing those things that we're called to do, remember that we need to make sure that our relationship with God must be our priority. You'll probably have heard of Rob Bell. He's a Christian author who's written a number of books now. And there was a a NUMA DVD, if you're familiar with those, where he tells a story about the time he and his family were at the beach. They were collecting shells. They were collecting all sorts of shells, and they managed to find a good number of them. And then they saw, floating on the sea, not far from the shore, a big, big starfish. And the little boy got really excited, and he was like, I want to go and get the starfish. So his dad said to him, off you go, go and get the starfish. And he ran into the water, and then he stopped, and he turned round. So the family started saying, go and get it, go a bit further, you'll be fine. So he went back in, he got a little bit further, and again he turned round. And they couldn't understand what was going on, so they encouraged him to go again, saying, it's, you know, it could be yours, just go a little bit more and you can get that starfish. But his son got to within reaching distance of this starfish and then turned around and came back one more time. So his dad said to him, why didn't you get it? It could have been yours. And the little boy held out his hands and said, I couldn't get hold of it. My hands were full of shells. It's so easy to have our hands full of shells that we can't get hold of the one thing that we should be aiming for. It's so easy to become so busy that we neglect the thing that is most important. That thing is our relationship with God. Our goal above all else when living out our calling should be to remain in relationship with our creator God above anything else. Someone once said that it's easy to be drowning in good. See, the enemy of the best isn't always the worst. Sometimes the enemy of the best is the good. It's when we become busy doing good things that we've no energy left for the one thing. That one thing Well, of course, that's our relationship with God and walking before God with integrity. We have a standard to live by. That standard is the Bible. And in the midst of our callings, we're to live it out. We're to do everything for the glory of God. There's nothing unimportant to him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are always there for us, no matter what. We thank you that whatever we do in our day-to-day lives, that you have gone before us. Lord, help us to always put you as our first priority. 
Amen.